I've chosen to go back to this series in 1 John because I've been working on this series. It started out with uh, Evangelist Andy here, and he preached about three messages, four messages in the book of 1 John, and I loved what he had to say, so I decided to just develop it a little bit further. So I took a few of his notes, and I wrote them down, and I developed the first messages, but I went further, and he never got to this portion of Scripture. And I'm going to pick up in 1 John, but before I do, chapter 3, but before I do, you know, as I did this study, I learned that John's ministry initially started at Jerusalem. That was a base of his mission operations. But then later on, he moved to Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus. How many of you know where Ephesus is? Anybody? Where's Ephesus located? In modern-day Turkey, what we know as modern-day Turkey. Isn't that strange? Because if you go to modern-day Turkey today, it's predominantly not Christian, but what? Muslim. But back in John's day, it was a thriving Christian community. It was growing and thriving in Turkey. You say, whatever happened there? Whatever happened in Turkey? And I don't have this in my notes, but I, I'm going to share this with you. Who knows why the light went out in Turkey, spiritual light? Because they turned it off. They didn't share the gospel. They didn't follow the great commission that Christ had left them with. And church after church in Turkey is non-existent today. And there's very few Christians there. You know why? Because they didn't share the gospel. They didn't carry out Christ's commission. I hope that this church doesn't ever get to that place because when you stop preaching the gospel, stop preaching the word of God, things spiritually decline. Souls aren't saved. The congregation dies off because they're elderly. New people aren't coming into the church, and the church dies. I said all that to say this. John addressed Christians in 1 John, in his letter to 1 John, because of an issue, of a problem that was existing in the church. The problem was is that false teachers were coming into the church and infiltrating the church to try to ch turn the church members' ideas about the person and work of Christ that their faith was built upon. They were trying to get them to abandon that thought and follow their false teaching. So that's the backdrop of 1 John chapter 1, and we're in chapter 3. John was convinced that this apparent increase in false teachers or prophets, he called antichrists, were a sign, a sure sign, that the end was near. The end was near. He felt like it was where the real antichrist would appear, and he would rule the earth, in an attempt to take over and overthrow God and his position. He prophesied this about this in Revelation chapter 13. You can turn there if you want. It'll be on the screen. 
But John talked about the rise of this Antichrist and the rule of the Antichrist later on when he wrote the book of Revelation. In Revelation 13, verse number 1, he said he was standing on the, on the sand of the sea, on the seashore, in his vision, and he said, I saw the beast rising up out of the sea. In verse number he talks about this beast, the Antichrist, having a throne and great authority. He talked about how the whole world marveled and followed the beast in verse number 3, and how they all worshipped the beast in number 4. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given great authority to continue for 42 months. In verse number 7, we see it was granted to this beast, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell in verse number 8 on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. So this is the backdrop. This was what was in John's mind as these false teachers were teaching and infiltrating the churches as he shared the following words of encouragement and warning in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 18. Little children, it is the last hour and you have, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. But you have the, an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore... Let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things have I written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Heavenly Father, use me this morning. Touch me this morning in a special way. Speak through me. Lord, to give these people what they need today. 
Only you can do that. So, Lord, just help me through this message to communicate it well, clearly, so that these people can understand what you'd have for them to understand today. And thank you most of all for our salvation, Lord. I wouldn't be here if it wouldn't be for that. And so, Lord, thank you for saving me, for touching the lives of all those here today. And all God's people said, verse, let's go back to verse number 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, or false teachers, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not, were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest or revealed that none of them were of us. They went out from us. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Does that mean that they departed from the churches that they were causing problems in? I don't believe so. I believe what this is referring to is their departure from the faith. Departure from what the apostles had taught these churches and these believers to follow and all that they followed and trust in concerning Jesus Christ and his person and work. Their departing meant some things. First of all, it, meant, it showed that they were never true believers in the first place. Secondly, that they, their teachings never and attitudes and beliefs never aligned with those of Christ and the apostles. But then thirdly, it showed that what their intentions were really all about. They weren't there to encourage the congregations. They weren't there to help grow the congregations in their love for Christ. They were in there to purposely deceive and influence them wrongly. Just like people today. That's why this church needs to be on guard. That's why you need to be on guard in your own personal life. Because people are going to come to you with all of these various views and all of their various opinions that contradict the sound doctrinal position that you have in Christ. They're going to want to pull you away from that if they haven't already. It doesn't take long for you to come across people like that. Well, Jesus had given his followers a word of warning, and he gave, gave it to us as well. In Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, he said to his followers, Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. That means that they were never satisfied. They were never, never satisfied predators. They came in to be predatory within the churches. This is referring to how these false teachers would infiltrate churches like they do today. And they mix a little bit of error with quite a bit of truth, just enough to pull people away from what they believe and what they have long been established, their faith that they have long been established in. Mark this down. You've got an outline in your bulletins to follow along and check out during the week to make sure I'm teaching and preaching right, and I'd encourage you to do that. By the way, you should do that all the time with whoever teaches or preaches to make sure 
that they line up with scripture. You say, well, oh my word, I follow this great teacher and, and uh, you know, I follow him online or I follow Pastor Andrew and what he has to say. You know what? You need to check out what we say uh, to you and what we communicate to you to make sure it's true because you know what? We're made of flesh and bones just like you. How many of you are always 100% do everything that God wants you to do and you're led in the way that God wants you to be led and you always move in that direction and never in a different direction? Any takers here this morning? Yeah. You know what? Neither do we. But hopefully, and we pray over uh, the message and the things that we present to you and ask God's leading and do a lot of homework and study to make sure that we're teaching the truth. But you know what? We're capable, just like you are, of sliding in a different direction away from God and His will. Wise Christians always choose to believe God's word above man's word. Always. Be a wise believer. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing. That means a special gifting from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now it was true that God had given these believers the Holy Spirit, and he gave them the Holy Spirit just like he gives us the Holy Spirit, to shield them from the deceptive false teachings of those that were working against Christ and his work. You see, the Holy Spirit, this portion of Scripture says, the Holy Spirit had given them all things. Well, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you all things. You say, man, he's given me all things? I feel so inadequate. Uh, I don't know, is that so true? Well, it is true for these believers, and it is true in your life if you have the Holy Spirit, because these all things are referring to all the truths of the Jesus person and work needed to help these believers and help us stand for God and deceptive teaching. That's what it's referring to. In the gospel bearing his name, The Apostle John recorded how Jesus had shared that he would send his followers the Holy Spirit to indwell them. The reason was is that he wanted God's truths to be revealed to them. And that was part of the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. And that's what God's Holy Spirit does in our lives today. John chapter 16 and verse number 13. However, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will, what does it say? What's the word? Guide you in all what? In all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Interesting, isn't it? Who does the Holy Spirit help us glorify ourselves? Mm -mm. Glorify the Lord. Glorify God, you say. When a person's in the ministry for what they can get, 
and not what they can give and be used by God, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble when we follow people like that. Because the Holy Spirit works through a teacher, a preacher, so that God is magnified, not him. So the Lord is praised, not him or them. As I look back on my life, I might be a lot like you and you might be a lot like me. How many of you struggled in school? Anybody? I did. I did. I hated school. Man, I hated school. I had such a struggle in school. And it took me until college to realize that I had a problem. Well, I got more than one problem. But this is the problem that I found out when I went to college. That I had a learning disability. I did. I had an attention deficit disorder, and everything around me would distract me. It didn't matter what it was, I would be distracted by the smallest thing. How many of you can relate to that? Yeah, yeah, I can too. But when I got in college, I realized some things. I had to sit at the front of the class. I had to take notes, whether I looked at them or not, because when I wrote it, it helped me to reinforce Help the teacher's teaching to be reinforced in my mind and my heart and my life. And that's the only way I got through college. By just doing those things, certain things. Pulling myself away from the distractions and sitting in the front of the class, taking the notes, reviewing the notes, listening to the teacher and had giving them my undivided attention. Well, in high school, I struggled. And you know, in college, I understood why. It took me that long. Because I didn't always, and most of the time, I never took advantage of the teacher's wisdom and knowledge to help me with what I struggled with. I didn't. In college, I did a little bit, but not as much as probably what I should have, for whatever reason. And you might be a lot like that. Well, as Christians, we're a lot like that. We struggle with the things of God and being spiritually devoted to Christ and following the ways of the Lord. You want to know why? It isn't because we don't have an instructor that knows what they're teaching us. It's that we don't go and take advantage of that instructor and their wisdom and knowledge that they have to help us with what we struggle with. So we go on struggling in our lives many times because we fail to tap into God's resource that he's given us, God's Holy Spirit, to lead, to guide, to direct, to empower us. Because apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our life, there's no way, no way we can be all that God wants us to be. There's no way we can do what God wants us to do apart from God's Holy Spirit. That's why a non-believer struggles so much in their life because they don't even have the Holy Spirit in their lives. If you're here this morning and you're struggling in your life continually, one of two things, there's a good chance you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior like you claim you have. Or secondly, you sure aren't dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and help you to become all that you 
can be and all God wants you to be because it's impossible. It's what? It's impossible for you and for me to be what God wants us to be apart from God working through us to help us to become that type of person that God wants us to be. It's impossible. You see, God's given us all a choice. We can continue struggling with life, depending upon ourselves to try to figure out God's will and God's truths in our life. Or we can turn and depend upon God's Holy Spirit, the one he has provided to help us to understand his truths and will for our lives. What are you going to depend on? What am I going to depend on? The choice is really ours, isn't it? You see, why Christians know the importance of surrendering to the Holy Spirit's working instead of struggling. Verse number 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is a Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He, he who acknowledges the Son has a Father also. The false, these false teachers that were hounding these believers were only self-proclaimed professors of truth. They were not God-called. They were liars, deceivers, and those who lacked God's approval. They rejected Jesus as God's Son. They rejected His ability to forgive sins and give eternal life to all those that He forgave. They rejected all these things. They claimed to have a relationship with God, like a lot of people do today, but yet they did not. Because a relationship with God can only exist in our lives through a relationship that we have through Jesus Christ and believing in Jesus Christ as God's Son. These false teachers rejected that fact. They weren't true teachers of God, called by God. They were false prophets. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26 says, For you are all sons of God through what? Faith in who? Faith in Christ Jesus. We become children of God, sons and daughters of God, part of God's family through faith. Not through our own efforts. Not because we're born into a Christian family. If you think you're going to heaven and God, you have God's favor and he loves you just because you're part of a Christian family, just because your parents are saved or maybe your brothers and sisters are saved, it doesn't mean anything for you, about you. It doesn't have anything to do about your eternal life because, listen, eternal life is gained through Jesus Christ. Trusting him as our Savior. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by what? By faith. What does that justification mean? Our sin record has been expunged. You know what that word means? You go in a court of law and your, uh, uh, someone's record is expunged. That means that it no longer no longer exists, it's obliterated, it can no longer be found, you can never be charged with that crime again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Listen, you are who you are. You're at the, you're, you are a child of God only because of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for your sin. When you trust him through faith and what he did, you're not automatically saved. Just because Jesus died on the cross thousands of years ago doesn't mean that you're saved, Dick. Doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you're saved, Dan. Doesn't mean you're saved, Jason. Doesn't mean, Holly, you're saved. Or Betty, that you're saved. Doesn't mean that any of us is saved just because Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Some denominations teach that we are. We're all children of God. Yeah, right. Right. We're all children of God? I don't think so. You become a child of God through faith in Christ. That's it. And faith in Christ alone. That's the only way you, you can become a child of God. You aren't naturally born into it. You aren't good enough to earn it. You aren't good enough to receive it. It's because of your, a person's faith that they place in Christ. And what he did way back on the cross when he shed his blood for the sin of sinners. And we all qualify for that. We all have to have our sin taken care of. Christ did it. It's a done deal with God. Forever sealed in heaven. I mean, it cannot, there's nothing that can be added to it. There's nothing that can be taken away from it. We're saved by grace through faith, the Bible says in Ephesians. Paul referred to that verse today. We're saved by grace through faith. And it isn't of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of our performance or works. Because God doesn't want us to boast about it. He doesn't want us to brag about what we've accomplished. Because it has nothing to do with what you accomplish and what I accomplish. It has everything to do with, with what Jesus accomplished and completed on the cross because he paid for our sin in full. And you've got to believe that by faith. It can't be, well, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, but yet I'm trying to be a good person. No, can't be that. By grace of faith alone. You say, well, where does it come? Where do all of those good things that we are to do in life come if that's not the case, if it doesn't really earn anything for us? It shows our love for God. Isn't that the least we can do? Live for God after all that the Lord has done for us? I mean, that's the least that we can do. Verse number 24. There, abide or remain or endure. That's what it means in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. The same is true for us today. For these believers to remain and stay lovingly devoted to Christ, they needed to pull away from all of these people that were self-proclaimed leaders attempting to uproot their faith that they had in Christ, work, and his person. Because Christ was everything that he said he was, and all that he claimed to be. For a person to be saved, they have to embrace that. They have to believe that, fully believe that. You see, for them to remain lovingly devoted to Christ and to be 
firmly planted in this solid doctrinal teaching that they had received in Christ and not be removed or pulled away from it, they needed to get away from those people and not listen to those people that were teaching otherwise. It was vital that these believers stay determined to hold on to their solid doctrinal beliefs and faith, just like it is us, so that they would remain spiritually strong and spiritually thrive while others around them seem to be abandoning their faith in Christ to pursue the empty lies of others. Listen, there's enough empty lies going on around the, uh, all around us. Remain firmly planted in what you've been taught. What you know about Christ and his teaching. Even though we live in this world, it doesn't mean that we need to be connected or conformed to it and to its way of thinking and living. We might live here, but we don't have to be deeply rooted in the traditions, the teachings, and the beliefs and practices of this world. Christ didn't call us to that. But he also didn't remove us from that. You need to remember that. You don't like being around those people that maybe are ungodly. You don't like living next to that neighbor that you have that maybe isn't living for God. Maybe is teaching other things. Maybe they're even a self-proclaimed teacher of God and they're teaching the wrong things. You don't like being around people like that? Well, neither did Jesus' followers, but look at what he prayed in John chapter 7, 17, verse number 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. <laughs> Lord, take me home. I'm just so sick of this world. I'm so sick of all that's going on in this world. I'm just sick and tired of it. Lord, just take me home. I hope that has never been your prayer, but I've known some Christians that are that way. Listen. I'm looking forward to the Lord returning. How many of you are? Yeah, amen. Hallelujah, he's coming back, amen? But you know what? Don't get too anxious. Jesus' disciples were anxious, but he said, listen, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Yeah, boy, do we know that. Sanctify them or make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Listen, Jesus knew that God the Father was the only one that had the ability to use his word to change lives. They were to be kept by the word. They were to be strengthened in the word. God gave us, gives us his word so that we can not be, want to be delivered from the world, but so that we can stand against the world and the way that it's headed. So that we can make a significant difference and look significantly different before the world. Not in a weird way. I know some Christians that they look weird and they act weird and they sure are weird. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. In this portion of scripture. How many of you know people like that? 
<laughs> yeah, we do, don't we? We do. That is what the Lord's talking about. He's talking about live so Christ-like that they look beyond us and see Jesus. Not an easy calling, is it? Not an easy task, but that's what God calls us to do. Listen. He wants us to be in the world. 2 Corinthians, but not of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols listen if you live for God you are going to be amazingly different significantly different and live in a different kind of life than the world does they're going to see that. They're going to know that. Because God's ways are not man's ways. Non-believers are moving in their direction apart from God many times, not toward God. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, a people that live for God. Therefore, notice what the Apostle Paul says as he encourages Corinthians. Look at this verse. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Live for God. That's what he's saying. We have a responsibility to live differently than those people that don't know Christ. We are blood-washed, blood-bought with the blood of Christ. We have God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us that has changed us, changed our stinking thinking, and helped us to think right. We're to be in tune with the Spirit of God, yielded to the Spirit of God, moving in the direction that the Spirit of God wants us to move, talking like the Holy Spirit wants us to, acting and reacting like the Holy Spirit wants us to, being everything that God wants us to be, empowered by the Spirit of God, and you and I can do it because we have God's Holy Spirit living within us. Wise Christians... Never allow their biblical convictions to be shaken by the thoughts and views of other people. We're to have a powerful influence upon this world, but not allow this world to have a powerful influence upon us. Verse number 25. John again reminded those believers that it was their firm belief that they had placed in what they had been taught concerning Christ's person and work that assured them of the eternal life that they had to come. Because of what they did, they trusted Christ as their personal Savior. They turned their life over to, their life and will over to Christ. They could be assured that they had heaven. 
because they believed, firmly believed in what they had been taught. You see, God had sent his messengers to share the message of Jesus and his plan of salvation. God had helped them to understand it and see their personal need of needing Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. They placed their faith in Jesus and were saved. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 10, in verse number 9, we read these words. That if you confess with your mouth, what? What's it say? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God, what? Raised him from the dead. Talk to me this morning, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between anyone, Jew or Greek or anyone else. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of what? The Lord shall be saved. That is the way of salvation. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about in his letter to the Christians in Rome. Listen, God hears our request. He gives us a desire to trust Jesus Christ and know our situation spiritually and how spiritually Desperate we are and in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness. He sent Jesus Christ. We trust Jesus Christ. We're saved. God plants his spirit within us. He changes us inwardly. Verse number 14. How then shall they call on him who, whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So then faith comes by hearing... And hearing by what? The word of God. Listen, I love to preach. But you know what God uses? More than me just flapping my jaws and my thoughts, he uses his word. It never returns void to him. It always accomplishes what he intends it to accomplish in our hearts and lives when we hear it. Listen, faith comes from hearing and hearing by or through the word of God. That's it. How does a person come to saving faith in Christ? Because of the word of God and what the word says. That's why it's so important that we know the word so we can share the word. You can't share what you don't know. That's why it's so important for you and I to share the word that we know with other people. Share the plan of salvation out of God's word, what God has said about having saving faith in Christ. You see, we have an obligation. We do. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. Verse number 26 of chapter 2 of 1 John. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, 
and is true and is not a lie. And just as he has taught you, you will abide in him. Listen, the Holy Spirit had not only guided these believers to the truth, but he had also given them the ability to distinguish the true God-sent, God-called teachers from those that were deceptive, self-proclaimed ones who were subtly working against Christ. You see, instead of considering the lies and deceit of other people, these believers like us needed to continue to rely upon God's Holy Spirit and His instruction to reveal God's truths to them. That's one of the ministries, going back to what we read. That's one of the ministries of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Wise Christians depend upon the Holy Spirit's guidance and insight rather than man's. Now, early in the 90s, it was discovered that the 180-foot leaning tower of Pisa was, a, was going to collapse in the future. It had leaned too far to be safe. So to salvage this 180-foot landmark, engineers carefully decided to do something. The first thing that they did is they injected the ground and froze the ground. They injected super cold liquid nitrogen into the ground to stabilize the ground. So when they worked on this tower and pulled it up, the ground would be stabilized, especially uh, as they worked and these vibrations went throughout the ground. Secondly, they attached cables. Cables were installed to pull the tower back into a more upright position. You know how far they wanted to move it that would make a significant difference? One inch. Their hopes were to move it one inch toward the center. Well, they ended up moving it one and a half inches. I, I checked it out since I wrote this message. But, yeah, they moved it. They wanted to move it one inch closer to center to stabilize it. You know, left to ourselves, we're a lot like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. We really are. We tend to lean away from God. We tend to lean away from God and we continue leaning away from God. That's our natural tendency. So knowing our tendency, you know what God did? God's so, he's so wise. He's a lot wiser than we are. He sent his Holy Spirit into every believer to indwell each believer to help them to discern God's truths and stay, spiritually stabilize them, to help them to remain faithfully committed to him as the ground of doctrinal soundness continually shifted around them and us. That's what God did, did for us. That's what he did for they, these believers. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Because this word abide means to continue or endure, we see that John really isn't talking about the believers losing their eternal security in Christ if they failed to remain 
and or abide in Christ. He's not talking about that. You see, these believers were to continue to be and stay spiritually connected to Christ and not lose faith in Christ's promises. It would be Christ that could keep them solid in their doctrinal beliefs and in what they believed and practiced. And you see, someday they would stand before God, before Christ, and not be embarrassed. That's what he's talking about. You see, many times we forget. We get so wrapped up in this life that we forget that someday, even though, first of all, let me say this. If you're a non-believer in here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you've just been going through the motions, or maybe you haven't even went through the motions, you're just downright, outright a non-believer. You don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There's never really been that time and place in your life where you surrendered your will and your life over to Christ and trusted in what he did to save you. I don't know where you're at, but you do, and God knows. But then there are Christians. Several of you have trusted Christ. I'd be a fool to think that everybody here has because you say, how can you say that? Because I played that game. I sat in church. I told everybody I was saved and on my way to heaven. Yeah, I did. Surely even thought I was saved and on my way to heaven until about six months after we were married and then she realized she married a non-believer. I just didn't, you know. I knew about Christ up here, but I hadn't ever trusted him as my personal savior. I had never got on my knees, repented of my sins. You see, that has to do with salvation, repenting of your sins. It's connected with salvation. It cannot be separated from a salvation experience. You've got to be willing to leave your sin behind. Does that mean you're going to be sinless? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it means that you have a desire to live for God and that you're sick and tired of your lifestyle and you're willing to leave that and follow Christ and you accept him as your personal savior. You see, that's the difference between a lot of these people that just make a profession of faith and those that are truly saved. These false teachers profess to be something that they weren't. You see, someday we're all going to have to, as believers, non-believers are going to have to stand before God. And God's going to judge them for their sin. And you're going to have to pay for your sin yourself if you choose not to trust Christ as your Savior. How are you going to fare with that? I'd say not too well. Because you know what? God's judgment for sin is eternal separation from him in hell. You say, you believe in that? Yeah, I do. And so will you if you don't when you draw your last breath. (laughs) You'll be thoroughly convinced that it's true. But believers are going to stand before 
the judgment seat of Christ. They bypass that time. In John chapter 4, it talks about that. I'm working on a message right now for when I go back to Wilson. I'm about finished with it. How non-believers are going to face that time of judgment. It talks about that in uh, that there's no fear in the believer's life of judgment. Well, that's because they passed by judgment. They bypassed it because Christ has forgiven their sins. There's no sin for God to judge any longer. And even though you're a sinner, God doesn't see you as one because your sin was paid for by Christ when you accept him as your Savior. But the believer, you will have to, and I will have to, stand before the judgment seat of Christ where Christ gives rewards us or takes away rewards for how we've lived for him in this life down here since we've been saved. How are you going to fare at that judgment seat if you're a believer? You're going to be embarrassed or are you going to be able to stand proudly before the Lord? You're going to be embarrassed if you would return today and you'd stand before him and have to give an account for your life? Or are you going to be able to stand boldly knowing that you live for God? 1 John chapter 2, verse number 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness, that means lives in a way that pleases God, Okay, let me reword it with that in there. If you know he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices ways that please God is born of God. You see, Christians not only know how God wants them to live, Christians live the way that God wants them to live. You see, John wasn't stating that an individual's salvation is gained through godly living, but that their godly living is an indication that they are saved. Godly living doesn't make you a Christian. It shows people you're a Christian. Wise Christians never choose to hide their faith. They openly live out their faith because they're left in this world for that reason and that purpose. Where are you at in your life today? Where are you at? Are you living the kind of life that God wants you to live, or is it kind of, yeah, sometimes on, sometimes off? Listen, you've got the Holy Spirit, just like these believers had the Holy Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit, just like if you know Christ, just like these, whole, these believers did. We need to live for God, amen? Let's go out of this place, make a difference. Make an impact in this life for Christ. Show people that we love God by how we live, how we act, how we react, how we respond, how we talk, how we walk, how we treat other people, how we talk about other people. Listen, God's given us a tremendous opportunity. He's left, in his, left us in this world to be part of the greatest work in all the world. His work. 
His work of seeing lives transformed. His work of seeing Christians encouraged. It's His work we're, in, we're to be all about. We're to be all about Him, not all about us. Let's be those kind of Christians. Secondly, if you're a person here today, and God spoke to your heart and you know for sure that you're not on your way to heaven or you're wondering about that, you need to settle that before you leave this place today. You say, i got a lot of time before to settle that. i got tomorrow, I've got next week, I've got this afternoon. Really? How do you know that? How do you know that? Yeah. Don, you were driving home the other day in your car you hit the ditch did you expect to do that no no bud you had heart problems a while back did you expect that came on all at once didn't it you see we don't have any guarantee that we have the next moment that's why we need to get serious about living for God today that's why we need to get serious about Accepting Christ today. You say, why are you sharing all that? Because you know what? The one I might be talking about may be you. I'm responsible for what I share this morning. I want to challenge you to step up to the plate if you haven't. To give your life back to Christ wholeheartedly to serve Him. Maybe you haven't been. To give your heart and life and will and yourself to Christ and trust Him as your Savior if you haven't. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. That you opened our eyes and you opened our hearts. Help us to receive what you had for me to share today and what you showed us all. Lord, you spoke to my heart. Lord, I'm sure you spoke to the hearts of others. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Jeff, yeah, I'm, that, I'm one of those people here today. I don't think I've truly trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know for sure. I'm on my way to heaven. I think I need to nail some things down today. In fact, I know I need to nail that down today before I leave this place so I can walk out of this place assured of the fact that I'm God's child and on my way to heaven I want you to pray for me is there anyone here that would say raise their hand and say pray for me pastor that's where I'm at anyone how about it Christian be honest every head bowed and every eyes closed has God spoken to your heart somehow, some way this morning? You say, he definitely has. Can I pray for you? Who would raise their hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want you to pray for me this morning before I leave this place. Anyone? Raise your hand. Lord, you not only see hands, you see hearts. And you know us. You know us inside or out. You know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, you know that we aren't always what you want us to be. You know that. And I know that. Why don't you just simply pray a prayer right now and say, Lord, 
what that preacher said is true. You put your finger on my life. I need to be more of a witness, more of a testimony for you. In the home, at work, in, before my neighbors, before my fellow church members, and before my siblings and family. Lord, I fail you so miserably, but Lord, help me to rise up in the power and strength of your spirit to be all that you want me to be, all that you've created me to be, that I might worship you and you alone, put you first, minister wherever you have me go, say the things you want me to say, do the things you want me to do, be the kind of person you want me to be. Lord, that's what I want. So Lord, change me, even if I don't want to be changed. Pray this prayer right now. Lord, I might not even want to be changed. But Lord, you know that I need to be changed. Change my desires in that way to become yours and change me. Put that desire deep within my heart and life that I might be different and walk in your ways and be blessed like you want to bless me. That's what I'm asking you today. And I'm looking for you to do that in my life and in my heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.